Hello, and welcome to the Financial Classroom with Will and Tim, where two friends believe that the American dream is built by living within your means. Listen as we discuss how to build wealth, live frugally, and attack life with a financial plan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 13 of the Financial Classroom. Today, we will be breaking down some questions from you guys. Uh, Before we jump in, I just want to welcome you guys to the first episode of 2021. Hope you guys enjoyed your holidays. And like always, there's Tim on the other side of the mic. Hey, everyone. Happy New Year. I hope you all had a great Christmas, ate lots of turkey, drank lots of eggnog, hopefully that you all bought on sale. Um, (laughs) We're excited to be back for another year. Hopefully this new year has a little bit less COVID involved with it. Uh, We have Juliana with us again to co-host another episode. Jules, Will, how was your guys' Christmas? Uh, Anything new going on in your guys' lives? Yeah, well, actually, um, so as we're recording this just two days ago, I did my first investment, you guys. I'm in the stock market. Congratulations. That's awesome. That's exciting. Yeah, thank you. um, We'll see where this goes, but I'm super pumped about it. So for listeners who don't know, Jules was a six-figure millennial guest, and then she came on our previous episode with Tim regarding mortgages and real estate. And then now she's back on again with us and today to answer some questions. Jules brings a different perspective and she's a little older than Tim and I, but it's great having a female voice on the show and just uh, like coming from the other side and getting different perspectives. As in Alberta, right? Yeah, Alberta. yeah. To yeah so. <laughs> Thriving Alberta right now. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Tim, how was your Christmas? Good. Um, yeah, just with COVID restrictions, only got to see a little bit of uh, family here, but yeah, really good. Cool. Sweet. All right. Well, let's jump right into it then. Today, we have quite a few questions from different people. We we actually posted on our social media asking if people have general finance questions and got some responses back. So today, the goal is to tackle some of these questions, these common questions that some people might have. And so I guess first off, uh, Jules, would you like to get started on, on a question? Yeah, sure. Well, um, this question here is to, well, either of you could answer it really, but um, someone was asking about grocery budget and how much should a family be spending a month for groceries? Yeah, so I guess the Canadian average for groceries kind of is somewhere around 220 to 240 a week. So you're looking at probably around 900 to 1000 bucks a month. That being said, there there are ways to save money on groceries looking for the the no name brands, the store brands, as you'd call them. There's an app that Will and I use called Flash Foods. That's saved me a couple hundred bucks over the last few months here. I just started using it. Basically, the idea behind that is just that you're able to buy products that are close to expiry. I just buy them and throw them into the freezer and able to get them at half price or less than half price. But really, it's average. If you want to be a go-getter, I mean, go for it. See if you can bump that down to 800, 700. It really depends too on your situation. If you're somebody with a higher income, obviously, you're going to have a higher grocery budget. If you're somebody who's on a lower income, you're going to try to shoot for a lower grocery budget. I mean, if you've heard Dave Ramsey, he talks a little bit about beans and rice, rice and beans. So that's kind of the idea, not to the same extent, maybe you want to have a well-balanced diet, obviously. Well, Tim, let me ask, I'll ask you and Will this question. 
how Tim, how much do you spend a month on groceries? And it's just you're single, correct? Right. Yeah. So it's just me. Um, personally, I spend somewhere in the neighborhood of about 150 to 200 bucks a month on groceries. <laughs> a month. Okay. And Will, how much do you spend? Uh, so my wife and I, there's two of us and I like to eat well. I don't like to eat junk food and, and eat. Craft dinner. Exactly. So as we speak, Tim just had craft dinner for supper for <laughs> listeners out there. And so usually we spend around 450 to 500 bucks on groceries a month. So, but there are a lot of different hacks that you can do, like Tim says, to cut down your grocery costs. Yeah. Yeah. You guys just told me about flash foods and our, we have a family of four. I have two kids and we're around a grand a month and talking to friends, mm-hmm. that's kind of the norm. But after now talking to you guys... I think that my goal here for 2021 is going to be let's reduce my grocery budget a little bit. That's awesome. Yeah. So for listeners out there, Flash Foods is an app that not only saves you money, but helps reduce waste. So before we've seen documentaries where grocery stores throw out food on groceries Mm -hmm. that's going to expire or, or close to expiry. So what Flash Foods does is they put these close to expiry food or some of them are even close to expiry. And they, or damaged. I saw they had some damaged items. Yeah, yeah. So imperfect food. So they put it on this app and they sell them for half price. Or sometimes like I've gotten like cream cheese for 25 cents and usually they sell for like four bucks. So like a fraction of the price. So you pick, you just pay it online and then you go to the store and you pick it up. And most Canadian superstores, and I know in the States, Flash Shoes also works in the States. So it just depends on what kind of store has is affiliated with flash foods but i would definitely check out that app if i were you yeah like even just this week i bought 62 bucks worth of salmon for 24 bucks and i mean just to clarify too i I mentioned that i spend 150 bucks 200 bucks a month on groceries will mention that i'm just eating kd like just a few minutes ago (laughs) here that's that's really not the norm like i'm eating chicken as well you know i so i i'm eating good food in addition to kd here (laughs) So he I'm just, not, I'm not just like eating ramen and KD to get by. <laughs> He's just I, trying to make I, himself seem healthy, but he just kidding. Tim's a healthy guy. <laughs> yeah. So no, in reality, like even as Tim mentioned earlier, and I'm sure Jules, you know this too, like the no name brand is, is just as good as the name brand stuff. So for example, olives, I eat olives. I like olives. Some people think olives is disgusting, but like there is like the name brand olives, but there's like the no name brand olives, but like the no name brand, you save a dollar or two, but it adds up. Same with like spaghetti or like pasta, like all those things. There's no name brands and name brand. Yeah. I don't know if our listeners saw on Instagram, we posted a frugal Friday and on there we were talking about price checking and on the bottom of the price tag, you can go like dollar per ounce or dollar per item. So if you're looking at a wall of ketchups per se, and you're not sure which one's the cheapest, don't necessarily go for the cheapest price tag, go for the cheapest price per amount. And that's a really good grocery hack. A lot of grocery stores break it up. Mm-hmm. And if you don't mind, I'll just come back to Flash Foods. I, I promise we're not sponsored by them. But um, <laughs> one thing that I have found with Flash Foods is that uh, because you just, you know, go to the customer service counter and pick it up and leave, that's helped me a lot to avoid just purchasing random items as I walk by them in the aisles. The grocery stores, obviously, they place items that they want to sell in places that you're going to see them. 
So if I'm not walking down the aisles and seeing these items and saying, oh, hey, that looks like it's cheaper than usual. Oh, hey, that's on sale on things that maybe I don't necessarily need, then I'm avoiding those items and saving money that way as well. All right. So I'll ask the next question here. I'll ask Juliana, but I mean, we'll feel free to chime in as well as you see fit. Somebody asked, should I pay down my mortgage or should I invest my money? Such a good question. Uh, I mean, ideally, there's different schools of thought and there's a school of thought where let's, let's pay down your mortgage as quick as possible and then work on investing. But I personally think, especially now with mortgage rates being I mean, there, you can get down to like 1.59 right now, but um, most people are paying between two and 3%, I'm assuming. But with interest rates that low, it just makes more sense to put your money in investments, invest early, invest often, and now's the time to do it. So I don't think you need to sacrifice your investment portfolio to pay off your mortgage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you can do both at the same time. I agree with what you're saying. I think if you have a mortgage, continue paying up mortgage, but don't lose time because compound interest is amazing. Mm -hmm. And so while you're paying down the mortgage, continue to invest your money. However, the mortgage I believe is the only debt that you should have while you're investing. Like for example, if you have a credit card debt out there and you're paying 19.99 or some, sometimes really 20 something percentage in interest, like don't, invest if you have that high of a interest rate because you're not guaranteed that you're going to get an investment higher than 19 percent or 20 percent return yeah, so sure. i think the mortgage like as a debt that's okay like pay down your mortgage but continue to invest because you cannot get time back and we cannot stress that enough and tim and i have talked about compound interest and i think like i mentioned earlier the earlier you invest the more that investment starts to compound on itself Tim, your thoughts? Yeah. And just one thing that I would add to is that what we're saying here is that you do take that difference and you invest it. You don't just spend it on yourself, right? I think it's easy if we have that extra money to, you know, go and spend it on ourselves. But yeah, it's it's really important to be really intentional to take that extra money that you do have sitting around and to go ahead and invest it. Yeah. Sweet. All right. We're just hammering these questions out. This is awesome. Uh I hope you guys are learning something out there, listeners. And so let's move on to the next one there. Uh, a listener asked, uh, should I invest in the RRSP or TFSA? So for American listeners out there, uh, RRSP is a retirement account and then TFSA is a tax-free account. So it would be like a Roth IRA versus like a 401k type of deal in the States. So Tim, since you're a accountant or tax guy, you want to start it off with uh, with the answer for this one? Sure. Yeah. So I guess in, in a lot of cases, uh, TFSA will just be better options just because it's more easily accessible. So if you run into an emergency or something like that, you aren't running into trying to pull money out of your out of your RRSP and getting taxed on that. With your TFSA, you can just pull it out right away. Say if you buy a new car or something like that, you're able to pull it out a lot easier than with an RRSP. That being said, if you're saving up for a house, you may consider using the home buyer's plan. Depends on your preferences around that. Some people might see it as, as a debt because you do have to pay it back every year. So the home buyer's plan is something that basically allows you to take money out of your RRSP 
and put it towards the down payment on your first house. So then you just end up paying it back every year come tax time on your tax return there for I believe it's 15 years. Both are great options. Both come with great tax advantages. I have a question about that. Um, When you pull money out of an RSP for first time home buyers, what are you pulling out? Are you pulling out just what you contributed or the growth? And is that taxable? How does that work? Yeah, so you'd be able to pull out the what you contributed, and I believe what has grown as well. So yeah, you would just pull that out, put it as a down payment on your house there. So okay, and you're only allowed to do that one time. And that's the only exception. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah, just for your first time. And the advantage with that too, is that you can you can put say $1,000 towards your RSP, you get a deduction for that. So you get like $250 back come tax time. And then you can put that $250 into your RRSP. So now you have $1,250 sitting there in your RRSP. So it allows you to build a little bit more money towards that first down payment that way. Perfect. Thanks. So to go back to the question, should I invest in an RRSP or TFSA? So let's take this example. If someone puts, let's say $10,000 into their TFSA right now, and 25 years from now on, so the person doesn't get any tax back. So the person who puts $10,000 into the RRSP will get a tax back return back. So then over the over a span of 25 years, both of the money will grow. But at the end of 25 years, when you pull out that money, whatever it's grown to from the TFSA, anything that's grown in there is completely tax free. It's all yours. Whereas the RRSP, let's say if you have a pension coming in, or if you have an uh, extra income, etc., if you're pulling it out, that's tacked on top of whatever income you're making. And then the government will take a certain percentage back. So in the long run, if you're a young investor, an RSP will be more beneficial because you have a longer time horizon for the TFA, TFSA to grow, if that makes sense. One other thing to know too is that with the RSP, that's going to be really beneficial in years where you have a high income. So because you have your RSP deduction and it's just means that, so if you're normally having to pay about, you know, 30% tax, but this year you made a whole ton of money and you're having to pay 40% tax, then that would be a really good year to contribute to an RSP. So that would be a consideration as well, because then you would be getting a, effectively a 40% reduction in tax instead of a 30% reduction in tax. Yeah. And for listeners out there who are maybe just getting into investing right now with the TFSA, there's a contribution limit for every year. If you haven't contributed anything from your 18th birthday, all the way up to today's date, you can back pay all of that. So on average, it was around five or 6,000 a year. So all of that can be put into a TFSA. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, it's start now. And biggest advice, do not just keep cash in your TFSA. Do not keep re- just cash sitting in a low interest saving account from a bank in a TFSA, because all the growth, as I mentioned earlier, is all tax free. So if you're putting in there and you're collecting 0.5% interest, that's tax-free. Yeah. But you're losing money technically to inflation, which is 2%, 2 to 3% a year. But if you're putting into a mutual fund or ETF or a stock and it's growing, let's say seven or 8% a year, that money is 
all yours after the growth. So do not just keep it in cash in a TFSA. You use it. Yeah, great advice. Uh, next question. Um, I'm buying a new car, roughly $20,000. What should be a good down payment? Will, do you want to go for that one? Sure. So for those of you who listened to episode one, where Tim and I talked about our biggest mistakes, one of my biggest mistakes from that episode was I bought a brand new truck and I financed a truck. So my biggest advice is if you can buy cash uh, on the vehicle, because if you take out a loan, it's a depreciating asset. How many times have we heard people being upside down in a vehicle? Like they owe, let's say $15,000 left, but if they sold the vehicle, it's only worth $10,000. So they're still owed $5,000 if they sold the vehicle. So they're upside down in that asset. So by taking out a loan for a vehicle, you're really buying a depreciating asset, but instead you can either invest that money or use that money somewhere else that's more useful instead of in a vehicle. I mean, at the end of the day, a vehicle is very important, but you can buy a used car. You do not need to buy a brand new car. Yeah. And what I do in my budget is I set aside a couple hundred bucks every single month. I'm just letting that build and build and build. And then eventually when my car breaks down and it's time for me to buy a new car, I've got that money set there aside. So then I'm not thinking, oh, I have to go into payments for a car. I've got that money there. It's specifically set aside for a new car. So I won't be panicking. I'll, I'll have been prepared for this situation. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. If um, you're going to be paying the same money, no matter what, I mean, you're going to be buying the car no matter what. So why not save up before you purchase it, then purchase it, and then you're paying the payments afterwards. You don't know what's going to happen in a year or two years from now. You don't know if you're going to lose your job or if COVID or something like COVID is going to strike. And, um, and then to be stuck with high payments, it's just, it adds so much stress to a person and it's not worth it for a depreciating asset. Like you said, Will. Yeah. And to add on top of that, you might actually not be paying the same amount because most of most vehicle loans have interest for mm -hmm. financing. So I think one of my friends was talking about one of his coworkers was trying to buy a vehicle and it was like an $80,000 truck. And it, he was trying to finance it at like 5%. But at the end of that five to six, five, six, seven year loan, it's going to be like almost 90, $100,000 that this guy's paying for this truck because he's paying interest on top of what he's paying for the principal of the vehicle. Yeah, gosh, I have a, I have an acquaintance and he bought a new vehicle and then it was an $80,000 truck. And then after two years, he wanted to see what else was available. So he traded that in and got another new truck. And he said, well, my payments haven't changed. Like, okay, but how long are your payments for? He had no idea. What was the interest rate? No idea. How much did you, how much did you get for your first vehicle? No idea. Yeah. So it's, it's good to be aware of how much money you're paying for a vehicle or how much money anything is in general. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Awesome. All right. On to the next question. Uh, right now we're going to talk about what to do when your budget goes out the window mid month. So Jules, actually we'll go, yeah, we'll go with Jules. You have okay. two kids, you have a husband. And so as a family of four, how does that work? Yeah, good question. There's always things coming up. There's extracurricular activities, sports for the kids. So there's always almost unforeseeable things happening every month. And for
for us, we have a set amount of what we want our bank account to be floating at. And so we're not the hardcore budgeters like some listeners might even be, but we just try to stick within a a floating amount. And then from there at the end of the month, we we look at the budget. So I don't know if I'm really the right person to be asking this question because we don't necessarily have a a lotted amount for groceries and a lotted amount for for heating per se. Tim, do you have any other advice here? Maybe you budget more than I do. Yeah. So I think uh, you and Will have, I've talked with you both a little bit about my budget and I've kind of got every dollar um, allocated to, to a different expense or sinking fund or whatever. So actually just, what was it? A month or two ago, I had to get a whole new wardrobe for work my my clothing sinking fund there so I kind of had to dip into some of my other accounts there's a couple of expenses that I maybe wanted to incur that month you know getting a haircut things like that maybe my gas tank needed filled but you know I pushed those expenses as much as I could into the next month so whether it's you know just eating whatever I have in the pantry or the freezer things like that just taking those and pushing as many of them as you can to next month to try to help this month balance. That being said too, I also just want to say, you know, if that happens, just crap happens, life happens. Don't get discouraged, pick yourself up, hop into the next month, commit to nailing your budget that month. Like eating if you're on a diet and you cave and you eat a cookie, you're like, well, I already had one cookie. I might as well have the whole bin of cookies. You know, that's, not the right mentality, have the cookie, make the spend, and then go right back onto your budget. Right, exactly. Don't give up is is the key. Do not give up. And I think one thing that, for example, we're talking about cookies or fast foods, or if you overspend on, let's say, eating out because you ate too much fast Mm -hmm. food, and you're trying to cut back, like, do not pull from your emergency fund, because you spent too much on McDonald's that month. Yeah. Right. Cut back on other stuff. Like Tim said, like less driving or start eating from your pantry instead. Like, but do not be like, Oh, I'm over budget. So, but I still need to buy more clothes this month. So I guess I have some money emergency fund. So let me pull out money from my emergency fund. That is not an emergency. (laughs) The cookies are not an emergency. (laughs) Yeah. And eating out or overspending on McDonald's or whatever fast food is your favorite. That is not an emergency. So keep that separate and try and yeah live within your means really at the end of the day and and ask yourself where did I go wrong you know it might be that this is an expense that came up that I should have planned for maybe you weren't setting money aside for home repairs and this home repair came up and now you're realizing oh hey actually I should have a sinking fund for for home repairs or maybe it's that I just deal with peer pressure in terms of eating out and asking yourself, how can I avoid those situations? Or maybe how can I eat out less expensively? Maybe it's getting something less expensive on the menu, suggesting a different place, suggesting going for coffee, something like that. But really ask yourself, where did I go wrong? And figure out how you can how you can change that attitude, how you can change that budget item so that it's, it's not a stressor for you. Yeah, there's something I want to add here. And you hear how Tim creates his budgets and he has almost like a category for every dollar spent. And then myself and Will do things a little bit differently. And I think the thing to stress here is that there's no right or wrong answer 
just figure out what works for you and save money. You know, just because maybe Tim's style doesn't work for you doesn't mean you can't be a good saver and a good investor. It just means that maybe that style doesn't work for you. And and don't get caught up in if you're doing it the right way or the wrong way. Yeah, for sure. Shall we move on, guys? Yeah, okay. definitely. Sweet. Yeah. So our next question here is, do you have any tips to get out of debt? Yes, there are lots of tips. I guess I'll go first. Uh, <laughs> yeah, share some, Will, if, there, if you have lots of tips here. Well, no, not, not specific lots, but uh, there are a few things that you can work on for sure when you're in debt. First of all, you need to, one thing that I've heard and I, I know it works is if you use your credit card or you use cards, debit card, whatever, at the end of the month, if you're in debt right now, print out all your transactions for the month onto a piece of paper, not on a computer, and then highlight every single restaurant purchases in one color, and then highlight all your utilities and like main things that you need to have in a different color, and then highlight like eat, like fun money and highlight shopping money. And then you could break that down and then you could see maybe you spent a thousand dollars on eating out this month and that's why you're struggling with debt. Or maybe you spent $500 shopping every single month. Like maybe that's why you're struggling with debt. And it's really good to just have that printed out and have that in front of you to understand how you're getting into the debt and why you're getting into debt. And another thing is increasing your income because you're only making $10 an hour. It's going to be hard to be above water when you're just trying to go by basic, like paying rent or paying for food, things like that. Yeah, Will, I love that advice. Um, you've got to know where the money is going before you can adjust a behavior and make that a habit of every month going through and highlighting everything. Like you said, once the habit is created, once you have awareness of where that money is going, it's going to be a lot easier to break those habits and to start saving money and getting out of debt. Another thing is credit cards. Just cut them up. Even if you still have a balance on the credit card, you can you can cut it up. It's fine. And then not use it, but pay it off. Yeah. And I mean, I was just kind of saying with the last question, you have to have a plan that applies here. You have to have a plan to pay off your debt. You're, you're not just going to continue as usual and probably aren't just going to be able to say, oh yeah, I'm just going to not make this purchase today or I'm not going to make that purchase. You need to have a plan that you're going to use to address this debt situation that you're in. So the two most common approaches are the debt snowball and the debt avalanche. So the debt snowball, that's a Dave Ramsey approach. It's worked for lots and lots of people. And this has more of a psychological component to it where it you start you take your debts, list them smallest to largest, and you just bang them off from small to large. And then that way you're getting a little bit of momentum. You're saying, okay, you know, I've gone from nine companies that I owe money to, to maybe five companies all in a matter of months, because I was able to pay off this $200 debt, this $300 debt, $350 and this $400. The other one is the debt avalanche. So that's basically just taking your debts and listing them from highest interest rates to lowest interest rates, bang off those ones with the highest interest rates first. Those are probably going to be your credit cards, maybe followed by your uh, line of credit, and then maybe student loans. But you just take them and you just pay them off from highest interest to lowest interest because 
that interest is money that you're getting charged just for having taken that money ahead of time. Really, it's not you're not receiving any benefit from it. And it's really just money just that's being taken out of your pocket. You want to get rid of those interest payments as much and as soon as possible. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I think getting out of debt is super important. And I think Juliana and Tim will agree with me on this. By getting out of debt, instead of working for money, you can let money work for you by starting to put all that extra money that you used to put into debt into some kind of investment and then letting that money grow. Sorry, uh, this feels like a really good time to go on a tangent. Uh, You just paid off your truck recently, didn't you, Will? I did. Like that was 0% loan. Want to tell us a little bit about why you decided to do that? Sure. I decided to pay off my truck because... I was sick and tired of seeing $275 come out of my checking account every two weeks. And it wasn't, I could afford it, but a lot of people say that they could afford, they can afford things. But at the end of the day, it was actually so freeing. It felt so free to be able to not have any more payments. Like I came into December last month and I didn't have a single payment come out of my checking account. And it was so lovely. And instead, now I have an extra $600 that I can throw at investments every single month, which will add up. And it it is psychological, like not having debt behind you is is, it's incredible. It's freeing. So and if you're out there and you're listening to this, and you're trying to get out of debt, we're cheering for you, we're encouraging you, you can do it. And it is very rewarding at the end, like all things that's worth doing, it is going to be hard. But yeah, when things like COVID do come up, then it makes it a whole lot less stressful when you don't have those regular payments that come out of your bank account that you're trying to meet. Yeah, I, I love that. And I just wanted to add one more thing. By the way, congratulations, Will. I didn't know that. Oh, thank you. you. Your vehicle. Um, get an accountability partner, whether it be your spouse or a friend, and be willing to share everything, you know, be willing to share when you may have made a immature purchase or a, a just a spur of the moment purchase. And then just, I find having an accountability partner will help with the spending. And you might think twice before you make a purchase, because at the end of the month, you're going to have to tell your accountability partner what you did and mm-hmm. why you don't have X amount of money at the end of the month put on debt. That's really good. Tim is my accountability partner. And I think it, it is good to have someone like that. So is my wife, obviously, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Should we move on? Next question. How much should you be investing if you're already paying into a pension? So, I mean, what most people are recommending, most professionals are recommending is 15% of your income should go right into your pension there. So that's kind of an easy number you can use to calculate. If you want to go a little bit more complicated, but really more well-prepared. There are retirement calculators online. This will help you figure out, you know, how much money do I want to have? How long do I want to be working? You kind of take all these factors in and it'll plop out a number and say, this is how much you should have saved for retirement if you want to achieve these goals. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that. And I think it is very important to save for retirement. And if you do have a pension, a lot of people say, yeah, I have a pension. I don't need to save for retirement. My pension is good. It'll carry me on when I'm in retirement. And yes, that might be true. But how many times or I've heard of people either spending all their pension away, or for example, a company goes completely bankrupt and the pension goes with it. So there are 
hopefully it never happens to you, but there is a chance that it could happen that your pension could go away. And also it depends on if your pension is defined benefits or defined contribution. So if it's defined benefits, for example, in my case, I have a defined benefit pension. So once I retire, I have a set amount that's paid out to me until the day that I die. So if I live the next 60 years after I retire, that's 60 years of pension that's going to come in, that's being adjusted to inflation. So, but workplaces are now moving away from the defined benefit pension into the defined contribution pension. So in the defined contribution pension, all you're doing is contributing to a pension fund. So for example, at the time that you retire, maybe you have $500,000 in this defined contribution pension, but if you spend it all, you do not get anything else after that. So you have to be super wise with how you spend. So by having and investing into another retirement account, for example, an RSP or even a TFSA, you not only have a pension, but you also have investment that you can pull from to live off. So that's like two things that you can live off of, which is just more reassuring. Now, if you're a little bit late in the game and you haven't started investing yet, and let's say you're in your your 40s, we said 15%, you might want to work backwards with an investment calculator, and you might need to be really aggressive with your investments. And 15% just isn't going to cut it. It would be hard for us to tell you what number to invest. But there's lots of resources online, if you need to sit down with somebody do so, but use an investment calculator and figure out how much you need to retire when you want to retire and then work backwards from there using a safe number of what would you guys say 7% return yeah it varies some people say 6% some people say 8% some say 10 it yeah so like 6 would be on the more conservative side but somewhere around 6 to 8 i think is usually what people would recommend yeah 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 and then you know another option too is we've talked on this show about fire which is financial independence retire early If that's something that you're going for, or even just FI financial independence, which is, you know, just being having enough money to be able to live off your dividends, then what you're going to shoot for is 25 times, yeah, whatever expenses you want to live off of, or whatever income you want to live off of, I should say, when you retire. So if say you want to live off $40,000 every year, then that means you need to save up a million dollars to be able to uh, to be able to live off of that, to be able to, to, to achieve that goal. So that's another option out there for you. Uh, I think that's a great option as well. Yeah, there's lots of options for retirement, but it's obviously you have to plan it. It will come one day. Some people go into their 60s, all of a sudden they're like, I have nothing safe for retirement. And it does happen. And it's very sad, but don't let that be you and plan for retirement. Obviously, I never look forward to retirement because by the time you look forward to retirement, you wish you were young again. And so enjoy the journey, enjoy the process, but at the same time, be wise about it and plan for it. Yeah. And especially if, well, even if you're a young listener, I think it's easy for us as young people to be able to just kind of say, yeah, I'm going to wait to start thinking about that till I'm like 40 or I already have a work pension plan. But what you really just need is to have your goals outlined now because it may be too late by the time you think about it, or it may be maybe not too late, but you may be pressing yourself pretty hard. If say you don't look at this until you're 50, 55 years old, something like that, you may have to make some real sacrifices during those years to be able to live that comfortable retirement that you're looking to have. Good points there on uh, retirement. And so for listeners out there, we have, 
a lot more questions, but we can't go through them all right now. And uh, honestly, it's been fun. I'm glad to be back in 2021. And I think we have a lot of episodes and exciting things coming up this year. Um, just uh, before we end, I just want to do something. Uh, so Jules is uh, a newer co-host. She's she's trying to do more podcasting things. And that's why she's on the show right now. And so Break the Piggy Bank. Uh, it's a new thing that we're doing. And she doesn't know that we're doing this right now. But we are doing it. So it's uh, so Jules, if you were to break, take a hammer and smash your piggy bank and take all the money out. We were talking about junk food earlier. And let's talk about the opposite because I know you enjoy working out and you were showing us your workout room earlier. Yeah, what, yeah. <laughs> what are your top five favorite snacks, healthy snacks that you would break your piggy bank and spend money on? Oh, I don't know. You know what I started eating recently? Um, I don't know if this is healthy or not, but almonds dipped in honey. Like that's probably oh. not the healthiest. Okay, it's, <laughs> it's better than dipping in chocolate or something. Yeah, it's been my snack lately. So Get some that proteins would... and omega fats. Right. So I, I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. Um, what are some other things? Uh, you, need, you need top five. Top five. Top five. Can I say booster juice? I love booster juice. Sure. All right. So is that um, number one? No, I don't have a number one. I guess it depends what I'm eating, <laughs> you guys. Um, bananas cut up with melted chocolate on top. Okay. And, um, well, no, I can make my own chocolate with coconut oil, cocoa, and maple syrup. There we cool. go. Awesome. Melt that on bananas and sprinkle some hemp hearts. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so booster juice, bananas with ch- chocolate and hemp heart, et cetera. Yeah. And... Did you almonds and honey? Almonds and honey. Okay. Uh fruit, like any kind of fruit. Awesome. And okay, and then the other one is chia seeds mixed with coconut milk and put into the fridge overnight, and you've got your next day pudding. Chi- yeah, I love those chia seed pudding. It's they're okay. it's, the, it's the best. Yeah. Oh, that was a hard one, you guys. Like we have to put you on the spot. Can I say recent pieces? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you like uh, put an apple on them or something. Oh, see, I, I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been fun, everybody. Yeah, I look forward to our next time getting to do this, getting to answer our listeners' questions, getting to answer questions from people that we're just interacting with on social media or our friends or whoever. Yeah, I hope that what we've been able to give today has been helpful. And hopefully it'll give you a little bit of direction in some of the decisions you guys are making. And hopefully it's relevant to some of the situations that you guys are going through as well. Yeah, you know, guys, I I love this segment. And for all the listeners out there, uh, I hope it was able we were able to add value to you. Um, if you have any questions that you would like answered, please just email us at financialclassroom at gmail.com. And um, maybe we'll do this again, maybe monthly or quarterly as well. Just, you know, follow the steps, right? Pay off your debt, start investing and, um, and have fun with it. Have fun with the journey. Like Will said earlier, it's something that's going to become a habit and it's uh, something to not be overwhelmed with, but to, to enjoy the process. Yeah. I know Will and I actually have a lot of fun with this. Uh, just today, uh, you know, we got dividends from our investments and we were just messaging each other over Facebook and Jules as well. We were messaging and uh, saying yeah, like, Oh yeah, we got, 
And yeah. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like, why am I not getting dividends? Why am I not investing right now? So. Yeah, but yeah, we, you know, with things like dividends or when the market goes up, we're like, oh man, like, look what's going on with the markets. This is so good. So it's exciting. Fun with it. Yeah, yeah. So like they say, enjoy the journey. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in again. And Happy New Year again to listeners out there. And I hope 2021 is an even better year than 2020. And yeah, 2020 was obviously very rough for many people, but we're hoping for a better year. And uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in and asking questions and posting questions. And you guys are amazing. And yeah, like always, this is Financial Classroom. And until next time, guys, take care. Thank you for listening to this episode. For more episodes and financial tips, check out our Facebook page, The Financial Classroom. And if you like this podcast, feel free to subscribe and leave us a review on our various podcast platforms. Later.